Thank God it's Free Range. You are listening to Free Range Radio Friday with your host, Michael Elves. Pour yourself a beverage and turn up the volume because here on 101.5 UMFM, the weekend starts now.
101.5 UMFM, this is Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio. I'm Michael Ozen, kicking things off for us tonight. Katie Tupper with a great new single called She Said. Tupper will be playing at Old Market Square on Saturday, June 24th at 7.30 p.m. as part of the Jazz Winnipeg Festival. It's a free show. Can't beat the price. Uh, I really encourage you to go check Tupper out. Um, this is a busy show. It's all Jazz Fest related. I've got interviews with Ernesto Cervini, who's coming to also play the Old Market Square, with Lila Bialy, who's coming as part of the Ostara Project, and with Gentian MG, who's playing as part of the Club Series. Uh, before we get to that, though, Will Bonas, local pianist who uh, has a new record called Is This a Dream? coming out, following up his Juno-winning release, Change of Plans. Uh, we're going to play you a track from Bonas, and I'm hoping that we get him on the phone for next week to talk about his new record and about his show at the Jazz Fest. Uh, keep it locked here on 101.5 UMFM.
All right. Well, he's no stranger to Old Market Square, having played there in the past. Ernesto Cervini brings his band Turbo Prop to the Winnipeg Jazz Festival Thursday, June 22nd, 6.30 p.m., and he joins us on the show. Welcome to the show, Ernesto. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. So, uh, I mean, I know you because we uh, we deal with a lot of jazz records. You uh, you do a lot of repping uh, as well as, uh, you know, your own music. I- I'm curious, like, how do you make time to do your own sort of creative work when you're, you know, you have like kind of a, a, a pretty busy job with uh, repping a lot of jazz acts? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, I'm the type of person that isn't happy if I'm not kind of constantly doing stuff. Okay. Um, Anytime I'm idle, it just, it bums me out. So um, keeping really busy is is um, kind of good for me um, emotionally. <laughs> now I have two children, so they keep me very yeah, busy as well. Say, yeah. A- anyways, but um, you know, when they're at school. So I think, um, you know, the creative part is is really my release. And I mean, I love I love working as a publicist for other jazz musicians, but but I'm definitely happiest when I'm on stage on behind the drums and, and making music. And, um, you know, I was really lucky to kind of stumble upon, um, turbo prop, whatever, whenever it was seven or eight years ago, and just find this group of musicians that are just wonderful to, to make music with and to be around. Um, and so, yeah, so, so, you know, making, make, making new stuff for us to do is, is always a pleasure. Um, because I know the payoff is going to be so great. So uh, it's funny you mentioned that because as soon as we're we're done chatting, I'm going to sit down and write a new chart for Turbo Prop. <laughs> I've been thinking about it the last couple of days. I was like, okay, I got to get this done. I got to get it out there. What's your writing process like? Um, well, if it's composing new stuff, then I usually will sit down at the piano. Um, I studied piano for a really long time. So uh, I, I have pretty good piano chops, so I'll sit down and, and every song is kind of different. Sometimes I'll, um, I'll write a melody first and then come up with the changes. Sometimes it's vice versa. Um, my favorite songs to write are always when I have some sort of inspiration in mind, whether it's, um, I don't know, a person or an event or a feeling or, or something like that. So, you know, my last album that I did is called Joy and it's all this music. Uh, that was inspired by these great books by Louise Penny. And so that to me, like that music was the easiest music I've ever written because um, the concept was so clear in my mind about what I was trying to portray mm. that the, the music just kind of, it came out very naturally. So when you say you're writing to like a person or something like a feeling, like do you have like a conceptual idea before you have like any sort of sonic or like melodic kind of ideas? I mean, that kind of helps with it, that Mm. that's the thing that creates because I don't know, I find, you know, if I'm going to sit down and just write, um, you know, there's just like, where do you start? (laughs) It's just so daunting. Mm. And sometimes that's what keeps me from doing it is just it's it's really intimidating to to get going. Um, So when I have something like that, a concept or or something, an inspiration um, I just find the writing process is so much easier because I have a starting place. So it's just it's just finding that starting place that to me is is the biggest challenge. That starting place does it suggest kind of like tone for you or it it can yeah, yeah. 
uh, it depends. Like again, with the Louise Penny thing, some of them it it suggested tone, it suggested you know key center, it suggested instruments. So I would start the tune with an idea of what instruments I wanted it to be for, and then that would in in turn kind of influence how I was going to write the piece. Right. So then like did you have like the entire framework like i'm gonna do a whole album uh based on this louise penny concept like was that like or was there like one song and then it was like that begat another song and you you suddenly kind of found yourself going down a road that became an album it started as one song and then very quickly became an album um once i wrote one song uh i i really liked the idea of of doing this uh, just a whole bunch of music based on these these books that I'm, I'm really in love with and um so yeah once i had written the first song and and i mean kind of like once the idea was planted it was a done deal i, I knew i was gonna do it um just because i was so excited and enthusiastic about it uh, and i'd been kind of searching for some sort of over yeah like overarching theme that i could I could, you know, write an album, album's worth of music based on. Um, so it had been in, in the back of my mind for a long time that that was something I wanted to do. But, um, you know, you never know where the how you'll stumble upon these things. Even if you have the idea, they didn't want to force it. I tried to. I tried to like, okay, I'll look up some Canadian poets that I might really like or I'll, you know, uh, maybe I'll do it about uh, some paintings or something, but I just wasn't, it just wasn't me. I wasn't into it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then these kind of, you know, I was just reading these books before bed. These are my, like, I always, I like to have a book before bed just to calm my mind. And uh, so I was just reading these for fun. And then, then, then this kind of happened. And and then, then it started, um, I reread all the books again and I had a notebook beside my bed and I would just make notes about certain characters or I'd write down um, certain phrases that, that I really liked really beautifully worded uh, whatever sentences or, and uh, so I just started kind of while I was reading, I was doing a little bit of research. Right. And then, and then, you know, and that started just the ideas flowing about, okay, well, I should write a song for this character. And I should write a song for this character. And I want, you know, and, and so it, it really was over the course of um, probably a year that I wrote the music, but also that I was just brainstorming about how I was going to do it. So it sounds like the idea has to come kind of like the nascent idea has to be organic. And then at that point, you can start kind of working it rather than forcing it. Whereas if you try yeah. to force the idea initially, like there's no kind of like take to it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, th- again, that's what works for me. Right. Um, I have had, you know, there have been songs that I wrote that ended up being pretty good that were, you know, forced by like a deadline or something. Mm. <laughs> um, but uh, but generally and, and sometimes it's just a matter of, you know, if if the outside influences aren't there to to force me to write music then before it gets too long between having written songs sometimes i'll just force myself to sit down and just see what comes out because um i feel like composing um you know you kind of have to practice it the way you have to practice anything else and it's a muscle that you need to exercise and uh 
So I went through a real um, busy period with composing when I was writing all the music for Joy. Uh, and part of that was during the pandemic. So that made it easier. I didn't have much else to do. Um, but uh, but then things have been pretty mellow since then on the composing front. So <laughs> I think uh, I'm feeling like it's time to start very soon. <laughs> sure. No, we mentioned about kind of the like the the difficulty of balancing doing repping for other people and, and doing your own music. But I'm curious if there's any like positive spillover in the sense that like you get exposed to a lot of different musicians and like their sonic ideas. Do you find that, that weaves its way into your own work? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I think, you know, the more you can check out other musicians, uh, the better, the more, the better uh, informed you are. And, uh, you know, a lot of musicians that I know listen to a lot of different styles of music. So, um, and I'm no different. I, I listen to all sorts of stuff. Uh, I'm a jazz musician, but I listen to all sorts of different styles of music. But it's also nice, as you said, to listen to a whole bunch of different uh, jazz music that's coming out of Canada. Mostly, most of the people I work with are, are, are from Canada. And uh, it's great to hear, there's so much great music happening right now. It's really unbelievable. Um, and so, it, it's really an honor to be able to, to, you know, make sure that this music gets out there and, and make sure that people are hearing it and make sure people know what's happening in Canada. Um, because, you know, nothing makes me happier than having, uh, you know, a radio DJ from, you know, Wisconsin be like, man, I had no idea there's so much great music in Canada. I was like, yeah, yeah, there is. And I'll keep sending it your way. So um, it, it is awesome to be able to hear all this stuff and and have it kind of uh, flowing through my my life it's it's really great and then do you find that like you pick up on certain ideas or sounds like do you ever think oh wow i never conceived of something that way and and then that maybe infiltrates your own music yeah i mean i i can't think of a specific example but i'm a firm believer that like everything i hear is kind of somehow filters into what i create mm. um I mean, at, in in a really specific example, there's a couple uh, clients that I, I did publicity for whose songs I arranged for Turboprop and have recorded them and they'll be coming out on our next album. And so those were music that I just heard by other you know, musicians that I really, really like these compositions. And so I, I asked them if I could play them with my own band. And um, so that, I mean, that's not a, a composition thing. I didn't you know, I didn't take the ideas and make them something of my own. I just literally took their songs and, and arranged them for my band. Um, but I think that's, it was, it's great. And, and it's something that uh, jazz musicians used to do a ton is play each other's music and play each other's compositions. And nowadays, most people, you know, we play standards and then we play our own tunes. And I thought, wouldn't it be nice if I just played some songs from, from other, other working musicians in Canada and, and, uh, you know, the I mean, more we support each other, the better. That's kind of the way those standards became standards too, right? Like an in, like individual Absolutely. artists would have composed it and then other people picked up on it and did their own spin on it. And, and that just became kind of part of that, that songbook. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think it's so, it's such a nice idea of, of, you know, when there are these great songs that people write to just like, let's, let's play them and keep them going. And, and uh, so that's actually it's funny you say songbook because my my next album with turboprop the working title is a canadian songbook mm. and it's gonna be all canadian composed stuff 
um, some originals, some from other people in the band, uh, some, like I said, from other jazz artists, and then a couple, you know, pop tunes that I love that I've arranged. So it's it's something, um, yeah. I mean, it's one of the things that I love to do with Turbo Prop is take music that you may not expect to hear from a jazz sextet and uh, and kind of make it something that we can we can play and have fun with. Well, that one's not out yet, but Joy is. So I want to get you to pick a track off Joy that we can play for listeners. And if you have a reason why you're picking that song or an anecdote about it, I'd love to hear that. Sure. Um, oh, well, maybe what I'll do is I'll pick something that features um, the, you know, some of the musicians from Turbo Prop, since Turbo Prop's going to be um, playing at the Jazz Festival. Um, so I think probably the best one is... Uh, we do a song called surprised by joy and it's kind of the title track of the album although not exactly but kind of um and the idea is i just wanted to try and capture that that feeling of like um you know it's only happened to me um i think very few times in my life but when when you're something makes you so happy that you cry um like to me surprised by that's what being surprised by joy is because I don't know. I, I remember being younger and hearing that someone was so happy they cried. And I was like, how that doesn't make any sense. Why would you cry? I just don't understand. And then, um, you know, and then I my my wife and I had a baby and I figured it out. I was like, oh, that's a crazy feeling. Um, so, yeah. So I wrote this song, Surprised by Joy, which is um, something that uh, is part of the Louise Penny books. It's um a phrase that's written on the bench in the town of three pines. And, um, I thought it was just a beautiful idea. So I tried to write something that's, uh, just incredibly joyous and, <laughs> and kind of, and like celebratory. Well, it's a good note to leave on. Uh, going to remind folks that Turbo Prop is playing the jazz festival Thursday, June 22nd, 6 30 PM at old market square, part of the free lineup. So, uh, no excuse, no tickets. You can just show up and enjoy it. Ernesto, thanks for taking some time out of your busy schedule and uh, looking forward to seeing you here in Winnipeg. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much.
right. Well, she's coming with the Ostara Project to play on Thursday, June 22nd at the Royal Albert Arms, but also has a new record out of her own. We're going to talk about both. Lila Bialy joins me by phone. Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. So this Ostara Project, how did you, I, I understand it's uh, Jody and Amanda's kind of uh, brainchild, but how did you get looped into joining the project? Well, I sang as part of Amanda and Jody's most recent solo release project. So Jody put out a gorgeous album called Sun Songs uh, back in 2017 or 18. And I was very fortunate to get to sing uh, the majority of the music on there. And Amanda put out an album called Earth Voices, and I was one of many vocalists featured. And so, you know, we've developed a musical and personal friendship over the years, especially Jody and I. And so when they were putting the Ostara Project together in the first place, I remember hearing about it from Jody on a drive between uh, the interior of BC and, and Vancouver, where we were heading. We're both from the West Coast. And she was telling me about the, the lineup and jo- the incredible Joanna Majoko, Winnipeg's own, <laughs> was, was uh, who they had lined up to sing. And I thought, oh, my gosh, there's, there's no better person for a project of this nature than Joanna. And so I thought, well, well done. Well done, all of you. And couldn't wait to hear the music, of course, which does feature Joanna brilliantly. And then a few months later, when they were ready to release the album and go out on tour, they approached me about joining them on a few shows. Um, Joanna is super busy. She tours with uh, Jane Bennett and Makeke. And so I was invited into the fold. And at that point, Jody, Amanda, and their manager, Lisa Buck, explained to me that the vision behind Ostara has always been one of a collective that constantly expands. So the original members will always be considered members. But as we move forward and as they move forward, they want to bring more and more people uh, into the fold. So Shruti Ramani, this incredible Indian singer um, based in Vancouver, she's going to be touring with us also. And Virginia McDonald toured uh, with us last fall. And so you're going to see some people coming in and out that ultimately are considered part of the Ostara family. And so that's how I ended up in the mix. So the like amorphous kind of configuration allows it to kind of take shape and change based on who's available and kind of what, what whims they, they take musically. Is that kind of the way I'm interpreting it? Yeah, I think the idea is just for it to be a huge and ever expanding family. So you know, people who were there uh, maybe a year ago will, I would imagine, might very well come back uh, for other projects. And as you said, part of it has to do with availability and and somewhat also vision on, on Jody and Amanda's part as the founding members. Um, and I know, you know, I don't want to spill the beans. I'll let them do that. But they, they have plans for a new recording this fall, and it sounds like it will involve you know, some new voices and, and that aligns with their vision that, that the group continues to expand and really just be open to all kinds of leading women in jazz across Canada. The sets for this then, like, is it, uh, is there like group sort of decision-making as to kind of what gets played or are are Jody and Amanda kind of like building the sets themselves and telling you all what to do? Like, how how does that work? What's the dynamic like? It's a combo. They're such respectful people. Like I, I would call them servant leaders in that they, 
they, you know, they are very good at taking charge of needed, but they also really welcome the input of all involved. And that's a delicate balance, right? Especially when there are a lot of cooks in the kitchen to use that expression. So um, my experience as a guest has been that they very much want to honor every participating member or guest um, by saying, you know, what song of yours would you like to do? So it's truly collective. And yes, of course, you know, Jody and Amanda's songs form the backbone, but each member, um, each musician on stage contributes their own song or in some cases, a couple of songs. So for me, I'm very lucky, as you mentioned in the beginning, uh, I've got a new album coming out. And so we'll definitely include a song or two from that album to highlight as part of the show. And the band can really accommodate that. And I think they seek to accommodate that um, to try and, again, honor the collective and really lift up every member, every performer equally. It's, it's, it really is a collective. It feels like kind of like the opportunity you would get at a, a folk festival workshop where each, each <laughs> person kind of like takes, takes the reins for a couple songs and then, yeah. you know, supports the other folks, uh, you know, on, on the other on the other tracks and, and kind of like a yeah. circle in the round, maybe even. Exactly. I was going to say music in the round. It is a little bit that way. And, um, you know, maybe slightly more established and a little bit less, uh, a, mo- a moment of discovery. Uh, you know, I think with, with, with circle in the round, uh, songwriting situations, um, many times those, those people are, are playing together for the first time ever. Whereas in this instance, there's some familiarity already, um, and uh, so so we bring that as well. But yes, I I had the same thought that there's in some ways this imaginary baton just being passed on from one to the next, and and everybody shows up in full force to support whoever is showcasing their song and perhaps featured on it in that moment, and it's it's beautiful. So you hinted at that there'll be some of your songs from, from the new record. Do you get to choose those or are they kind of weighing in? It? Like, like how, how does that happen? Yeah, yeah, it's a combo. It's a combo. So thank you for demystifying many of the questions I think folks are probably already asking in their heads as they book a ticket to the show. Um, so, yeah, I, I had my ideas about the songs I thought would work best and my ideas landed well with Amanda, who I was in discussion with about the possibilities, but she also came back and said, you know, what about this one? It feels like, you know, Amanda is looking at the group as a whole and the repertoire as a whole. And she said, this particular song, we really don't have anything like it in our set. So why don't we do that? And if I'd had my druthers, it maybe wouldn't have been my first choice, but I welcome its inclusion and totally stand behind uh, you know, the decision that she prompted and, and guided because that makes sense. You know, we do have to think about how the show will read, you know, from, from top to bottom and how, how uh, the songs, each song contributes to the whole. And so Amanda and Jody would be the ones, I think, leading the charge in, in um, just keeping an eye on, on how everything is, is going to sound and, and read together as a whole. I appreciate your willingness to go with me on the, on the process questions here. I, I'm not trying to like, (laughs) you know, dispel any myths or anything. I'm just very curious about like process when it comes to like this many cooks in the kitchen, as it were, right? Like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It could get messy in a hurry. And I think if, 
if Amanda and Jody weren't so fundamentally egoless, this could get pretty tricky pretty quickly. Because, you know, musicians, the best of us are still sensitive and we all have an ego and and we all have kind of our own personal agenda and how we like to read on stage and before an audience and, and with our peers. And and so I think we all have the understanding that um, it's, it's interesting. It's like each individual part is celebrated for its uniqueness. So in that sense, we're a mosaic. A mosaic. But on the other hand, I also think that in some ways the sum is greater than its parts because, and that is in some ways the goal, right, is to create something together that none of us would really create on her own. So, and that's exciting. That's exciting. But it does require setting aside ego somewhat and agenda, right? Yeah, because I, I get what you're saying, but like if there was a song that didn't really fit with the rest of everyone else's kind of material within the Astara project thing, it's it's the, like the chef who's like really big into turmeric or something where it's like, this is just going to like... <laughs> Flavors a little off, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just going to dominate yeah. the dominant things or st- stick out, and and having a sense of like the whole, I guess, has to be Jody and Amanda's job so that the, the the whole thing holds together. Exactly, while allowing each individual to shine in their uniqueness, and that is such a balance. It is such a balance. I mean, Shruti, there's nobody who sings like her on the planet that I've heard in a jazz context, not a, not a soul. And so she has her moment that just absolutely knocks the audience out They're just, They can't even believe what they're hearing. I can't even believe what I'm hearing every time she does it. And if you heard that on its own, you know, you'd go, what, this is not, I didn't expect that. This is the O-Star project, but it works. It somehow works that, that, that her song and her thing, um, and I think again with with Jody and Amanda commandeering the ship a little bit, it just it it, it somehow works in the in the greater context. And you wouldn't think that it could, but it does. And again, I think it has to do with not just how music, musically things are honed and shaped a little bit over the course of a show, but but also the spirit that everybody brings, right? A real spirit of camaraderie and openness. I feel like there might be like a, a through line between the the workings of the Astara project and then sort of like the the egoless notion that, that that Jody and Amanda bring to that to your album and the fact that it's like fan requests that you have to kind of like cede some control and and allow other people to have a voice in in what's going on and ultimately like you you have your eye on kind of like the album as a whole and decide you know what does and doesn't make it but that you know these these are coming from people asking for specific things and and maybe they're not mm-hmm. exactly the things that you would choose on your own Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, for me, I love a good challenge. And I also, I love being given some prescriptive, some direction. Um, because I always feel like creativity and freedom within boundaries is especially fun. When it's just a completely wide open slate um, or blank slate, it's like, oh, wow, okay. Uh, that can be daunting, right? It's like building a house from scratch. But when I get to, get to show up and kind of renovate things a little bit, and work with existing materials, raw materials that are already to some degree proven and fantastic. Um, that to me is great fun. And, you know, to be totally honest, it, it can sound a little corny, but I'm such a believer that musicians, entertainers, we're, we're, we're there for our listeners. Of course, 
we create music for our own pleasure, no doubt. Um, but for me, the real driving force is what most pleases my fans. Now, that's a, that's a, this one can be a kind of tricky territory because, you know, you're never going to please everybody. And I was only able to choose 10 songs out of the 150 requested. So I had to face the reality that I would disappoint a few people in asking folks to put their requests forward, you know, knowing that, that not every request could be fulfilled. Um, and if I could, I would, but there simply isn't the time, budget, and bandwidth. So, so yeah, I, I, um, I really loved it. I reveled in, in, in finding out what people wanted to hear. And, and I actually gravitated towards songs that were requested more than once across, you know, the, all the requests that came in. There were a few that showed up two, three, even four times. And I thought, okay, if I were looking at it as a democratic process, well, those are the ones that would rise to the top by virtue of having more, the force of more votes behind them, right? So I, I, I let that happen. And, and, uh, and, of course, there were a couple of obscure goodies that I <laughs> just thought, oh, wouldn't it be good to take that one on? And, and perhaps I will in the future. Um, but, but I think that's why I landed on such well-known, ubiquitous songs, for the most part. Uh, right? Like, my funny Valentine, how many times have you heard that from, from jazz singers? <laughs> Right over the decades, I mean, zillions of times. Yeah, <laughs> right. Were there any that surprised you? Like, were there any suggestions that you're like, "Wow, I'd never even considered tackling that." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chelsea Bridge was one. Uh, Windows. I think that's a song by Chick Corea. There were a couple that I went, "Oh my gosh!" Like, how how could I even arrange those? Like, to me, there's nothing to change. You know, um, I wouldn't. It's interesting, like when I think of more contemporary jazz repertoire that takes more risks harmonically and perhaps has less common uh, changes, um, harmonic changes, like that's the stuff that I would really, I wouldn't know what to do with it. And finally, I have a little story for you. So for My Funny Valentine, my first choice for a special guest was actually Sting. Um, I was working with him a little bit remotely during the pandemic for his album, The Bridge. And, and so I mustered up the courage to ask him if he would join me on a song. And I knew he'd sung My Funny Valentine, and I wanted it to be something easy for him because he's so busy. And so I proposed that. And um, he politely declined, but then suggested that I arrange his song Seven Days. And even though I love to arrange songs from the pop realm, for a moment I was like, what would I do with that? Like, it's already so kind of sophisticated and interesting, I'd have to really think about what I could bring that would add anything, if anything at all. <laughs> and so that's, that's the challenge that awaits me because given that the offer is on the table and it's from Sting, how could I not seize, seize the opportunity? But back to your question. So yeah, a couple of standards that are not necessarily from the great American songbook, but are more contemporary jazz fare. Those ones were fun to see, but, but I thought, mm, not sure that this is the time to take those on. So you, you have a few different guests on the record and, and not just Larnell and George, you know, as the foundational trio. Was it a pretty easy ask? Like other than, you know, Sting politely declining, like did everyone else kind of get on board? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they did. So Kurt Elling, I mean, he was, in some ways it was harder to ask him than Sting because I have more, more of a relationship established with Sting. Um, and so when I reached out to Kurt, 
I was just delighted. He was all in and what he brought was so perfect. Um, I mean, he was just unabashedly himself uh, in what he sang on My Funny Valentine. I had the idea to make it a duet, right? Uh, uh, thinking of Sing Initially, but then Kurt. And uh, I think it works really well as a duet. And I'm not sure anyone else has done it that way. And the fact that I stuck fairly faithfully to the melody and then Kurt just went off-roading from the first note. And, and I don't think he sang a note of the melody uh, on his response or in, in, his, uh, in his iteration of that first verse. And initially, I was daunted by that. I thought, oh, my gosh, is that going to work? But then it very quickly became thrilling and totally elevated the music. Emily Claire Barlow, as a guest, was a no-brainer. The album was actually released on her label, Empress Records, and I've been a fan of hers for a long time, and so she was delighted to join forces. And Katie, you know, I say this with great humility, and it surprises me, but while I admire her massively, she's been a fan of mine, she says, since she was in high school. Because I'm almost old enough to be her mother, right? She's in her mid-20s. I'm 42. And so that was really sweet. And she just felt like the, the perfect fit for Pennies from Heaven. And actually, we'll get to sing together in Medicine Hat, where, where, where Ostara is doing a double bill with her. So that'll be real fun. Oh, nice. Yeah, she's playing jazz Winnipeg, too. But I don't think the dates line up. Is that maybe the... No, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. She's, a, she's a total force. I mean, nobody needs to be told that if they know of her but uh, yeah that's it's pretty exciting that she's doing the festival circuit as well the album coming out on emily claire's label empress was that like how did that come about you know i had been watching her for years and not not just in the recording space and as a fellow artist but i've been watching her in the digital space now i know so many people have mixed feelings about what we call DSPs, digital service providers, and Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, et cetera. But as much as I share, you know, troubled feelings about how little artists are paid now when, when people use streaming platforms, I also feel like there's a side to it that's exciting, which is that there are fewer gatekeepers um, and you can actually reach more ears. And Emily Claire was an early adopter of Spotify and DSPs, and it shows. So not only does her music slot brilliantly into this sort of algorithmically driven system, but because she adopted the platforms really early, especially for jazz musicians, who I think held back and some still hold back, um, she's been wildly successful in that space. And so I wanted to kind of tap into some of that. I wanted to experience some mentorship in that regard and it worked. You know, I went from 3,000 monthly listeners to over 70,000 for a while. And, uh, you know, and I keep thinking about how to continue to build that without paying the price of becoming a slave to Spotify, which is something that I think people can be at risk of, especially artists who lean a little more creative. But this was a project to try that out with because it is a bit more straightforward than previous albums I've released that don't, I don't think, don't as easily find the algorithmic power, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So, so she's been great to work with. And she's, she is, oh my gosh, is she a force of a business mind. So as much as she is a brilliant musician, she is a brilliant businesswoman. So it's just been a delight to uh, discover somebody who is as or more driven than I am. It's interesting you say, you know, jazz not necessarily embracing the, the digital push because i i always at the end of the year when i post kind of my favorite 
albums. I try to link to the Bandcamp if if possible, just you know, because that's yeah. the one where folks yeah. get most. And there's a couple labels like jazz labels that don't don't put stuff up digitally, like not even on Bandcamp. Yeah. And I'm like, what what are you doing? Like, at the very least, like so folks can check it out and and like support you directly and buy it digitally. Like, I don't I don't understand. It. Yeah. I hear you, and I, I understand and respect that for some it's 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 active protest. I get that, but I'm with you. I sort of just feel like, you know, I I want to reach as many people as I can, and as much as it sucks that the gatekeepers like Spotify and Apple Music, you know, are not all not as good to artists as they could be. Um, I also think that there's some brilliance to what they're doing. And I mean, it's wildly successful for a reason. And um, yeah, and I want to be, I want to be a part of it. And I don't feel any shame in that. I think where it gets a little ugly is, and I, I still don't fully understand how this works, but I had heard from a fellow pianist, singer, Champion Fulton, that uh, apparently there were in-house composers, you know, putting stuff up um, on Spotify, and then the editors would you know, give it, give those songs and those in air quotes artists like prime spots. And so it was like Spotify was generating its own, in, like, like uh, income from its own creative contributors. This is and like, sometimes at the expense of places for other artists, like bonafide artists like myself. So if that's actually happening, that's definitely, I can see why that's problematic. Yeah. That sounds like, like when Amazon started like releasing their own version of products that were selling well on Amazon or something. Exactly. You got it. That is the perfect, perfect comparison. The The upside, though, I think, is like treating like all music as kind of like this universal library where people can kind of like connect dots or, or make through lines. Right. Like I think of, yeah. you know, my 14 year old who like the other day was listening to Frank Sinatra for some reason. And I'm like, how did you land on that? Oh, and he's I like, love oh, that. You know, like if, it, never in a million years would I have predicted that's what he would like just be like listening to while he was doing his homework. But. You know, he landed on it because of uh, like an algorithmic kind of uh, chain that that led him there. Exactly, exactly. There's a discovery piece that would happen, but in a much more limited way on terrestrial radio in decades past. But now, everybody has access at their fingertips, and and that's powerful. That's powerful, and and I do think that there are some silver linings. You know. I am just, as a radio host, I'm amazed at what I discover. So I, I've, I've made it an exercise to go through Spotify's Best Jazz of 2022 playlist. It's incredibly diverse. I don't know how they even determined what songs would, would, would land there. Was it a numbers game? Was it the ones that had the most streams? Or was it an algorithmic thing? Like, what was it? So I've been working my way through, and I have discovered some incredible musicians through listening to that playlist and what a joy and I have Spotify them thank for that right so you know again it's, it's a bit of a balance I would say mm -hmm. the the nice thing about your new album is it you know draws from the great American songbook so it'll it'll fit nicely within those sort of algorithmic things to like you know if my yeah. son's listening to the Frank Sinatra there's a there's a strong chance that he that he lands on you know but not for me or something Yep, totally, totally. And and that was one of my goals. So if I'm completely candid, it was your request was a fun way 
to take on repertoire that I also thought would likely be more successful on Spotify because my original songs, I had one song that just popped and got put on a couple really good playlists um, when it was released. And that was really the only kind of by, by Spotify standards or streaming standards song that was really successful. Doesn't mean it was my best song, but something about it worked um, for the editors and it got a nice spot. And, and I really felt like I wanted to put out some songs that might more easily work for jazz editors. Um, but I, I, I was concerned that, you know, because there are a million versions of But Not For Me and a million versions of Funny Valentine, why would they choose mine? I mean, when you have everyone from Ella Fitzgerald, Frank Sinatra, you know, Louis Armstrong, the list goes on to Esperanza Spalding and Becca Stevens and Gregory Porter to choose from, why, why Lila Bialy? But I got lucky, and, and uh, you know, the first three singles that we released, or three of the first singles that we released, did, did land on some nice playlists, and, I, and I've gained a little more traction because of it. And I think they are people that will ultimately embrace the more original repertoire as well, but they needed an introduction, just like your son, you know, was suddenly listening to Frank Sinatra, right? Mm-hmm. So I want to know where that goes. Like, I want to know how that story continues for him as a listener and as a consumer of music. For sure. Uh, well, I'm going to turn the tables and, and, you know, the album's called Your Request, but I'm going to get you to pick a track off of the record that we can play for listeners. Oh, and if we, if you have a reason yeah. why or an anecdote about it, I'd love to hear that. Well, you know what? I am going to choose the lead track because it's Bye Bye Blackbird. I actually wrote it. So this was one instance where uh, a couple people requested it, and I happened to have a version already from when I was fresh out of college, so like basically 20 years ago. And I liked the version, but it never saw the light of day. Um, obviously, I never recorded it, but I had arranged it. I dusted off the arrangement, kind of tweaked it a little bit, and it was such a great opportunity to feature Larnell Lewis on drums and Kelly Jefferson on sax. And funnily enough, Ostara opens their album with Bye Bye Blackbird, arranged by Joanna Majoko, so... This is a kind of fun tie-in with Ostara. So let's do Bye Bye Blackbird. All right. We'll give that one a listen. Your request out now, uh, available to, to stream and to purchase. And Lila uh, coming with the Ostara Project Thursday, June 22nd, 9.30 p.m. at the Royal Albert Arms. Thanks very much for taking some time and, and talking. Oh, what a pleasure. It's super nice to, to connect with you. And thanks for having me on the show.
Back here on Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio. Right before the break, Lila Bialy with Bye Bye Blackbird from her album, Your Requests. You can find that album online and you can see her with the Ostara Project during the Jazz Festival. Speaking of the Jazz Festival, Connor and Cordelia, local duo, just released their new album, Acceptance. We're going to hear a little something from them. Uh, They play The Cube on June 18th at 12.30 p.m., one of the nooners, and it's free. If you like what you hear, go check them out. And coming up after Connor and Cordelia, my interview with Gentian MG, who's also playing the Jazz Fest. And like I said, next Friday we'll have uh, probably some more Jazz Fest coverage. It's just around the corner. Keep it locked here on 101.5 UMFM. Could do it. 
most recent album is Walls Made of Glass, released last year. Bringing that and her rather repertoire to the Royal Albert Arms on Saturday, June 24th at 9.30 p.m., Jantian M.G. joins us by phone. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Now, as I understand it, you got your start as a classical pianist and, and kind of made the move to jazz later. What, what happened? Like, I'm curious about like wh- why you made the pivot. <laughs> Yeah, um, well, I did. I studied classical music for 10 years, like as a like until the age of 16. And I was quite, quite serious about it. And I think uh, um, I, I started to be interested in, in the composition, more like the creative side of it. And I, I started to compose a little bit with the knowledge that I had at the time. And I think when, when I heard about jazz, I kind of saw um, the possibility of learning more about harmony and improvisation which is uh, very closely connected with composition like just the idea of 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 being creative with sounds i guess so so i just yeah i just moved to montreal i used to live in a small town quebec i moved to montreal and then i just kind of not started all over but yeah i did my cgev and university and i then i studied the uh for i did eight years of formal uh, jazz jazz studies and and then yeah and then finally i i can just kind of do my own music and and do what what i wanted to do uh when i was a teenager had you done like uh music theory when you were doing classical piano like uh yes yeah i mean yeah like the you know like we used to have like uh, harmony and uh, a lot of ear training and and all that it's just like the classical training is a bit um there's, there's something about it that's more like you do a lot of ear ear theory and like the basic kind of rules of of you know uh, tonal music but there's something a bit different in the approach um in how you learn like it's less about chords and you know um it's funny because when i started the jazz uh, jazz studies i it, it felt like it was such a different world like like you're completely on another planet. And then eventually as you move on, uh, it starts feeling like, oh, right. Like actually all that stuff, it's just all music and it, it's in a way all rooted in the same place. And then it's just a w- different ways of conceiving of it. And So does it, it feel like a completely different instrument, the piano, when you, you know, start studying jazz and then eventually you start to kind of like build a bridge between the two? Yeah, at the very beginning, it definitely it feels a bit like it's like I know how to play my instrument, 
but I can't play it because I, I just don't know what to play because it's like learning a new language. Um, so for, for the first few years, it was almost like frustrating because I couldn't get the feeling of actually play, play, playing music, which, which I, I did have uh, do, uh, I, by the end when I was playing classical, like doing concerts and like a lot of like kind of serious performances. Um, but yeah, but then I, I kind of had my, I knew how, how, how it felt to, to actually play music. So I just worked my way through it and eventually, um, uh, my, my technique and my knowledge of the instrument started to serve me again. Like I could finally like use the, the, the knowledge that I had, uh, previously and uh build, yeah building the bridge between the two worlds kind of and, and that's kind of the idea of, of that trio also because um since it's or, or original music it's uh it's whatever comes out of my ears and i guess it's a combination of all that uh, background it's interesting to hear you say you know like you having 10 years of classical music you, you really had a kind of an understanding of the instrument and kind of felt some mastery and then having to start, start over like is that freeing or frustrating? I, I would say it's it's, it's both. <laughs> part of it, yes. At the beginning, it's part of it. There's something frustrating about it, but then, but then the frustration kind of makes you want to just keep going. You know, it's like it's like I'm frustrated that I can't get where I want to go, but also it it makes me want to go there even more. You know, like. Um, so I guess it, it's it's both things, but I, I do remember also on the other hand, when I I started like in like studying jazz, what I really enjoyed about it was it was so uh, so much um, you know like in classical I used to do a lot of competitions and like there was a lot of external pressure to 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 be good to perform you know all that. And then for especially for the first few years learning jazz, there was no external pressure. It was just the only um, the only thing that made me want to keep going was like just pure like I'm just interested in this thing and I just want to understand what's going on and, and kind of be on my own and 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 dig that that new world kind of so that was kind of very uh, fascinating and 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 uh, op mind opening I would say. Did did that mind opening nature kind of help you in terms of like coming up with your own compositions like? you know, being kind of tabula rasa or like, like a, a blank slate, you, you didn't have any kind of like preconceived notions? Um, yeah, I would say it's true that like, for some reason, like, because especially when you when you start, when you go to school, jazz school and stuff, there's, it's quite codified, like there's, there's really a, a set of language and a way to conceive of things and certain pieces you have to learn. And in that way, uh, I, I felt more like, an, okay, there's just this tradition that I need to learn. But in terms of, for some reason, like with composition, I've always felt uh, in a different world. Like, it's like, if it if it goes to my composition, it's, it's, it's just, yeah, it's, it's kind of just that kind of, uh, that door that opens and it's just, okay, I'm just going to, I'm just gonna hear whatever I hear, and so the composition aspect of it was always kind of secured from, for me, anyway, secured from, from whichever uh, thing that I that I was trying to learn, kind of. 
I don't know if I'm expressing it correctly, but I, th I think so. Yeah. Now it's like more in the more on the creative side, I guess. That's so a bit more. I was always I wanted I was searching for being for for uh, kind of this kind of freedom, I guess, through composition. It's just I just want to express something, and I don't want to feel like I have to to close my uh, my ears to anything really. So so for you then, writing a song is an opening up rather than like a constriction or like a, you know, setting a border around a specific song or sound? Uh, yes, definitely. It's like, um, I guess like there's sometimes I will, I will give myself rules, but I think, I think rule, like not rules, but like, um, you know, sometimes when you give yourself, oh, what if I try to, to go this direction or, then the, the the rules are just ways to dig further because sometimes like too too many options it's like are like too many options um it's like i don't know where to go and then i'm just gonna stay uh, in my kind of safe safe place or whatever so so the rules are just there to dig further into kind of the unknown and rule less kind of like at the end of the day no matter what comes out of it it's cool as long as it's uh, no, as long as I strongly hear it and 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 I'm really saying what I want to say with the music. So you're three records in. Uh, you, first one was Eternal Cycle. Um, I'm curious over the that time of the the creating the three records, like ha has your songwriting style changed or developed as you've kind of had the experience of the first record and then building on top, or did you have like a good sense of kind of like how to write songs? Kind of, kind of coming out of schooling and and having an idea of like what you wanted to do already. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I think, I think there's uh, the there's a core there, like of the that that that's is there, that was there the whole time. Um, like there's a sound that that I think we can hear that that it comes from the from the same person, let's say. But then, of course. Um, like I see the albums as a bit like pictures of the time, so so each album will ref will reflect who I was at that time as a human being, what I was going through, uh, what I was witnessing in my life, and also what I was what I was kind of checking out musically at the time. Um, and I would say that what what changed the most for the let's say the last album, Walls Made of Glass, is that. Um, I, I guess aging, we learn to take our time more. I, I, I did learn that anyway. So, uh, I learned to take more of my time and, and go further into the process. So things that like, like 10 years ago, let's say, maybe I would have thought that a tune was finished and that, that this is the tune. And now 10 years later, it's, 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 it's like, I, I it's like, um, I would go much further in the process and probably delete more things and, and kind of, it's like where I thought I was done five years ago. Now it's like, oh no, this tune is not done. It needs, still needs uh, some work. Um, so I would say my, my work these days feels more finished than, than my work from seven years ago, let's say, um, artistically speaking. So you've become more exacting, maybe? Yeah, more... Um, you know, like, it's like the music, I, I think that the music is more, um, 
what exactly what it wants to be. It's hard to describe, but I started to think, you know, like, you know, when you listen to those, uh, let's say, I don't know, like a shopping piece that, you know, some, some of those pieces, pieces that everyone knows, everyone has heard those pieces. We forget that, that the composer wrote them because it, it feels like they've always existed because they're just like, if you would change something in the piece, it, it, it wouldn't work. It's like this piece is exactly what it has to be. Which for me it means this piece is finished. It's like it went, it 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 was worked so much that now it's like it kind of can have a life of its own. Let's mm. say, um, and I I was kind of trying to to ask that question like what I was what what I'm writing now. It's like okay, well this piece is finished, and then it's like wait a minute, like could I change anything in there, or could could something be removed and 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 still the piece would kind of express the same message and and if the answer is oh yes i think some things could be changed then it's like okay well the piece can't can't live on its own yet like i i still need to think about it and and see what what it needs to to finally just okay well now um there's nothing else like this this piece can kind of live on its own i don't know it's it's pretty abstract but but i would say that that's the thing that that changed the most for me throughout the, those um, three records. Um, yeah. Yeah. I get what you're saying. Yeah. You mentioned about, you know, what you were listening to, you know, kind of seeping in. Is that like, do you purposefully listen to things with the hopes of like absorbing what other people are doing? Or is it, do you just find what you listen to out of like pleasure or interest then weaves its way into your own songwriting? Um, I think more and more it's very, um, you know, um, I try to listen only to, I try to not have, um, I just not force myself to do anything, essentially. So like, if if I feel like listening to something, no matter what it is, I will listen to it. If I don't, sometimes I don't feel like listening to music for a while. I just won't listen to music or, um, um, yeah, was that the question? Kind yeah, of. I'm just curious about kind of like the process, like if when you when you talked about kind of like the the albums representing in some part what you were listening to at the time, was yeah. was that like purposeful reflection or just kind of like an unconscious kind of echo? Right. Uh, yeah, I see what you mean. Well, I think that I always start from. It's 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 often related to non musical. The inspiration comes more from non musical stuff than it comes from something musical at first. Um, so let's say I don't know. For example, um, I have a tune. You know, let's say I have a tune that's called uh, "Burning Candle." For example, well, I mean it's what it is. But like at first, it comes from like. Uh, I was watching this candle burn and it was in, in a moment in my life where I was kind of learning to, to, um, to, to, to relax, you know, and kind of be more mindful maybe and, and more appreciate, like be more in the present moment, let's see. So, so that, that kind of idea came first. I was like, okay, I want to write a tune that's going to express that kind of mindset, like being in a moment, blah, blah, blah. And I will, sure. I called it burning candle, but really what it, that's what I wanted to represent. And then I will think about um, what, like, I think about music as a tool of expression. So it's like, what, what kind of piece will express that kind of concept that I want to express? And then, oh, maybe 
is going to be a slow piece and then okay what what kind of harmony will that piece have and it's like maybe okay for that piece it, it should be more kind of uh like kind of a very melodic or whatever and then i kind of start really from there and then i translate those human things to uh, musical tools and and then i can start thinking musically kind of translating that that thing outside of music to music um yeah so that's kind of how how it happens sure now do you give thought to you know when you're writing a song how it lives on a record versus how it you know plays out like are you, are you thinking about kind of the the song in in two divergent paths or do you think of them as kind of the the same thing just kind of recreated like you mean the like the difference between like when yeah like when it goes on the record versus like performing it yeah. live yeah um yeah i guess i guess because more i would say more and more i think because we we're, we're playing more like we have more tours and stuff so um i didn't used to think about that so much it was more like okay yeah i have this record i'm doing and but more and more i think about that that a lot uh how it's gonna play live because um because that's how we're gonna really um um in that's how i think i can enhance the music um by making it enjoyable uh, by giving enough room to everyone so they can so when we go perform they can really play and and feel um something deep uh, in the music so 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 yes i do think about that quite a lot more like in the performing aspect because at the end of the day even when we go in the studio it is a performance that's kind of how we do it so so it's because there's a lot of improvisation so um so that yeah that that aspect i think it's very important to to optimize the the optimize the music so it's like i feel it's like to find that that right balance between uh written material but then when it comes to improvisation i really want to have uh sections that 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 are not necessarily too difficult or if it's difficult it's there's really a reason why so um so yeah so we can so musicians can enjoy themselves and and then the audience will will also um grasp uh, this energy uh, oh hopefully but it's yeah it's 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 an i feel like performing mu this music it's really like an energy that we share together as a group and the more that energy is there the more the audience will live something through it and then i guess that that's i mean if if i have to find a meaning of of what i do that's definitely a, a big part of it is to is to to share that kind of you know that share experiences with with other humans well speaking of uh, sharing things with the audience i want to get you to pick the a track off walls made of glass that we can play for listeners uh, to give them a little taste of what they'll see on Saturday, June 24th at the Albert. Uh, and if you have a reason why you're picking that song or an anecdote about it, we'd love to hear that. Sure. Um, we could do, um, how about um, Flowers Laugh Without Uttering a Sound? Because uh, I think that it's quite, that one is quite energetic. Um, and But it also starts, it's kind of, it's kind of a mysterious, pianistic, um, pianistic kind of uh, riff, um, so I think it showcases it's it's a it shows the the kind of the spectrum of the nuance of of the music because it's 
there's a lot of variation in, in mood uh, in, in that album. So, yeah, I would pick that one. All right, we'll give that a listen. Uh, folks can see you live Saturday, June 24th at the Royal Albert Arms as part of the Jazz Winnipeg Festival. Jean-Cian, thanks very much for taking some time and looking forward to seeing you here in Winnipeg. Thank you very much. It was uh, very enjoyable to discuss with you. Thank you.